Wow. Thank you. Thank you, Don. Thank you, everybody. And I've just realized I feel incredibly underdressed in your church, Don. You're wearing a shirt and I'm wearing a t-shirt. So, so anyway, but hey, it's great. It's so good to be here uh, in Whangarei. Whangarei. What a great city. Man. Yeah, great city. I was driving. We've driven through it a few times. We've just driven through from Kaikoui. Uh, this morning, uh, we're, uh, my, my wife's folks are, are based and been up there renovating yesterday, getting them settled in. They lived in West Auckland for 40 years and they've just moved up to, um, up there and, and so it's been a bit of a culture shock. And so we, we're just helping out where we can. Uh, and so yesterday was, was a long day painting and scraping and all of that, but so good to be here with you guys. And, um, man, I'm excited. I'm excited. To be honest, I, like, I'm very, um, I don't, I don't do a lot. We probably, I probably preach once or twice a month and we've got a team of people that speak and, and Taku speaks. I don't do a lot of preaching. So this morning, if you don't get anything out of this, it's Don's fault because <laughs> he invited me to come here. So I thought, Don, you really know what you're asking. But, uh, hey, look, a couple of things I want to say. Firstly, um, Don is right. My wife is amazing and she is the brains of our household. She keeps things going. She is an incredible woman of God in her own right. Um, and that, but also want to mention, we're very grateful for Daniel uh, Wilkinson Mackey. Does anybody know that family in this church? Yeah, yeah. No, he has been an amazing uh, young man of God, and he's come on board at our church in the city. Me and Dan used to play squash all the time, and uh, we just hung out and we played squash. And he just moved to Auckland, and we'd we'd have great times hanging out. And over a course of a few years, I noticed that his heart was starting to sort of lean towards God and to to helping at church. And I thought, oh, maybe there's something in this. And so we started talking a little bit. Uh, and a few years ago, he says, oh, Jules, I think I need to, I think I need to do an internship. I need to just give some time to God. And, uh, we prayed about it. And then we brought him on board. And then we had COVID that whole year. And he just felt like, oh, man, this whole year has been hard. But I tell you what, the last six months, God's just put his hand on his life. Um, the kids ministry he runs, he runs our youth ministry. Um, and God's just doing awesome stuff through him. So thank you to you guys because he's he's from this church, he's from your uh, this part of New Zealand, and uh, we're just blessed by him having him there. So, hey, three things I want to do this morning. One is um, I just want to speak about being a follower of Jesus. You know, I don't know you guys that well, you don't know me that much, but we do know Jesus. That's what we've got in common. That's why we're here. And so I want to speak a little bit about that, and hopefully there's something in that for you personally. Secondly. Uh, I feel like there's a few things I want to say as a, a church community to you here in Whangarei uh, and let God just say a few things. And thirdly, I just believe there'll be um, just little nuggets through this message that God's going to whisper. You know when you set time aside for God every Sunday, what you need is to hear His voice, right? Like you don't, you don't need to hear what I've got to say. You just need to hear what God wants to say to you this morning. And so I encourage you, just listen in and say, God, what is it that you need to just... Man, we've been, if you've been walking this Christian journey a long time, you know, sometimes you can turn up, you can worship, you, then you go home and you think, that was a great time, and think, did my life change? And I've been on those roads a few times and think, God, I just need to hear your voice today. I need to hear your voice into my life, into what I'm facing. Uh, and so we're going we're gonna to explore that this morning. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, that God, you are already in this room. You're here. God, even as we worship and sang this morning, God, your presence is in this place. And Lord, thank you, God, that we don't need to embellish the Word of God. The Word of God is powerful. It's active. It's alive. God, this morning as we speak from the Word, it has the power in itself to change our hearts. 
And so, Father, I just pray that you'd speak through me this morning. I pray that you'd deposit something in the, the hearts of every person here, young and old. Lord, it doesn't matter if we've been on this journey for many, many years or we're a new believer. God, I pray this morning there would be the voice of heaven just speaking into our hearts. God, we need to hear you this morning. And so we pray, God, Lord, that you'd speak to us in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Awesome. Well, I'm going to share a little bit of a message about building for a better tomorrow. Uh, and as I share, you know, this is really a little bit about the church and um, and our lives in the church. And Pastor Tark preached recently um, a message, and I've kind of forgotten what it was about, but I just remember him saying about being in the middle seat on an aircraft, and that, that was the one takeaway I had, was being in the middle seat. It was a great message, but that's all I remember. And uh, And I thought, that's the church. <laughs> that's the church. We're in the middle seat, you know, between the manger... Uh, and between the, and between God's kingdom coming and the feast. That's the middle seat. That's us. You know, we're not at the eternal. We're not, we haven't arrived yet. You know, there is so much more to come that is so good. So it doesn't matter if everything's not perfect right now. But guess what? We've also come a long way. We've come a long way. I'm, uh, uh, Nati Kahanunu Tokaiwi, and that's part of my tribe. I'm part Māori, part Pakiha, as you can tell as well. Uh, but, you know, I love the uh, Te Māori worldview. When you're walking forward in life, you actually walk backwards. You're looking back at where you've come from, but you're walking into all the things that God has for you. And I love that thought because, you know, it's easy to walk forward just thinking everything is, is for me. Everything is about this life. But actually, we're, God's much bigger than that. He's put you in a place. He's put you in a church. He's put people around you, and he has a purpose for everything he does uh, in your life. So we're in the middle seat in the church as we walk forward. The church has a purpose. It has a place. It has a power, and that power is the Holy Spirit, and it's desperately needed in people's lives. One reason is, you know, I hear today in different conversations about church, oh, church is on the decline. Christianity is on the decline. People people are not following God anymore. You know, what about our young people? What about all these things? And sometimes I hear that, and I think, yeah, okay, maybe there's some truth. But part of me rises up and says, no, 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 the story's not written. God is not finished. God is not finished with his story in Aotearoa. He's not finished with his story in Whangarei. He's not finished with his story of young people of our nation. God is always doing new things. He's always bringing life. Wherever there's a people that are seeking him, that are hungry for him, making disciples, things will always be better than they were before. They will always be better. So anyway, that's just a little bit of just warming up, just getting a few words out of my mouth. So we're, uh, we're on track. So Matthew 16, 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I love that passage of Scripture, and one thing I love about it is that Jesus says, I will build my church. I will build my church. Not me, not Don, not a brand. Jesus will build his church. He is the author. He's the perfecter. 
And he's a very, very good builder, it turns out. I love the fact that he used the word build because he was a carpenter. Do you think as he said those words, he was actually sitting there going, man, I built for 30-something years, and I'm just talking about building the church. And uh, I don't know, I would have been loved to have been around some of those times where Jesus was speaking and using all of this language and talking to his people. But we have the Holy Spirit. Well, what I love about this is he says, I'll build my church. And who does he say it to? Peter. And what's Peter? Peter, we know, he fails miserably. Peter, Peter drops the ball, man. If anyone fell off the wagon, it was Peter. Like, he really stuffed it up, you know. In his hour of need, what does he do? He denies Jesus three times. You know, I mean, is that what a friend does? In his hour of need, Peter's off. He scampers for things, and he fails. And he's overcome with grief at his inward betrayal of Christ. Peter failed. But I think sometimes we need to realize we all fail. We all have moments where we've really, really failed, and we've dropped the ball. We've let things down. And I think, you know, in our Christian culture, I've, I grew up in a Baptist church. Any Baptists here? One, Jesus. He loves the Baptists. Anyway, I grew up in a Baptist, I'll just move on. I grew up in a Baptist church, eight, 18 years of my life. And then I came to uh, West Auckland where I met um, Katie in the youth group. Youth group, good place. Anyway, so we got, uh, we got married and I grew up in a, in a Pentecostal church in Auckland but the rest of my life, 18 years. So I've been in Auckland 18 years. Grew up in Christchurch for 18 years. So last year, I became a blues supporter because I've been in Auckland longer than I have in Christchurch. What a year to change over to supporting the blues because they're just, they're just firing up, you know. I just got that right. So anyway, I switched over last year to support the blues and, um, and that, but I've grown up in Auckland. I went from a Baptist church to a very large Pentecostal church. And man, if you could, it was just totally different. Everything was different. You know, in, in, a, in a Baptist church, for me, it was growing up, it was all about discipleship. There was a lot of hanging out. There was, to be honest, it was a lot of fun and not a lot of much of the God stuff. We just hung out. It was a great time. When I, when I was in the Pentecostal church, coming up to Auckland Church Unlimited, you know, man, it was, it was prayer meetings. It was prayer and fasting. It was the Word of God. It was Sunday night and Sunday morning. There was all these things uh, that I had to pick up as I went along. Uh, but it was good for me. It was good for me. But I tell you what, out of all of that, I've realized walking this Christian journey a long time, the church is full of flaws because it's full of people that are flawed. But isn't that the beautiful thing? Jesus chooses to use that. You know, what organization could really be used by God authentically and say, well, we're squeaky clean? That's not how God chose to operate. You know, he chose to take everything that's failed in our lives and he still uses us. He still chooses us. In fact, it's the one thing that he's sometimes looking for is the vulnerability to say, God, even in my weakness, I'll let you use me. I'll let you choose me. And somehow God decided this was a good plan to use us in our weakness. So the first point is God knows our weaknesses and he still chooses us. You know, I spent a number of years, um, Don mentioned, in the city campus. So we're, we're pastoring the city campus nine years this year. Um, and if I'm honest, the first few years, I had no idea, I still have no idea what I'm doing, but the first few years, I really had no idea what we were doing. I've just realized I'm really high up here, Don. Our stage in the city church is much more humble, it's about here, and um, it feels a lot less in people's face, I feel like I'm lifted up, anyway. So we, we started le- leading this church, honestly, I really had no idea what I was doing. I was leading worship, I was good with that. Isaac, I was good with leading worship. And then uh, we came back to Auckland, 
And Pastor Tark said, look, would you go into the city church and, and would you would you lead it? And we said, no. <laughs> it was our, we said, no, we're too young. We would, you know, and we just, we just, anyway, someone said to us, oh, can you pray about this? So we did. We prayed and we fasted. And the word we got was that there was many sheep, but not many shepherds. And so we just felt, God, if you want us to do this, oh, who are we to say no? So we went in uh, with no idea what we're doing. Anyway, fast forward nine years, and God's just led us on this incredible journey of leading a, uh, a multicultural, uh, very uh, diverse in age, and, and there's probably about 27 nationalities. Actually, looking around, there's a lot of nationalities in this church as well. But, you know, I remember one time David Peters asking, who was born in New Zealand in, in our church? And we were the only one. There's a few of us that stood up, everyone else from overseas. So it's a very diverse church, and uh, and man, did I feel ill-equipped like to lead a church. And I quickly learned that actually it wasn't really the strengths that God was looking for to lead a people. You know, I mean, look through scripture, right? Look at, look at who he chose. Look at who he chose. He chose a Moses who couldn't speak. You know, he chose all these people that actually they didn't feel they could do anything about it. He chose a Gideon who was thinking, what are you doing? I'm just threshing in the wine press. I'm just hidden away. And he chooses these people. So he chose us to lead this. Um, but in the first few years, I thought, right, I'm going to build a great church. And uh, truth be told, I thought, man, let's just find all the great techniques. Let's find out how to build a church. Let's get it happening. Let's get it started. Uh, and I went gung-ho straight ahead, a uh, 100 miles an hour. And I quickly learned that actually I was trying to build a church. I was not trying to build people. And in that moment, I realized, God, this is this just doesn't work. But you know, the cool thing is God knew my failures. He knew the things that were in my heart, but he still chose me to do it. And over that time, we realized, man, God, we surrender afresh to you. I remember one Sunday morning, God saying to me, and I used to, I used to get up on the Sunday mornings and look around and think, God, is anyone going to come to church this morning? Oh, I was 27, you know, I didn't really know what I was doing. I used to look around and think, God, is anyone going to turn up? I remember one morning, the Holy Spirit speaking to me and saying, Julian, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? And I thought, oh, I don't know. And he just said, you shepherd the people, I'll build my church. And after that moment, it was just a sense of this, this weight came off. And I just thought, okay, God, I'll just do what you've asked me to do, and I'll leave all the rest up to you. And in that moment, you know, God just, just started moving. And the last several years, I mean, you know, I still look around and I see who's here and who's not, because I want to know how they're doing, and I care for them. But the whole thing shifted. And I realized that God is, you know, he's not impressed with our strengths. He's not impressed with all that we can conjure up. Because to be honest, all that we can conjure up, even in his sight, is still marred by our sin and everything else. But in our weakness, he chooses us. So the question is, I have for you today, is where has God chosen you, but you've deselected yourself? Where is it that God has placed his hand on you, his gifts on you, his anointing on you, but you've for some reason thought, actually, God, I don't know, I think I'm quite weak in this area, but he's actually chosen you this morning. I want to say to you this morning, church, that it's not in our strengths but it's in our weaknesses that God works best. And he wants to work through you and in you this morning. And I've found, you know, sometimes when we want to operate in our strengths, it just becomes a fruit that spoils. It just becomes something that actually doesn't, it rots. It doesn't end up feeling good. It doesn't end up leaving a good taste. It ends up being actually a little bit disappointing. So this morning, first point is God knows our weaknesses. He chooses us anyway. The second thing is we've got to let God do the heavy lifting. We've got to let God do the heavy lifting. Jesus tells us in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, 
For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Dane Ortland, he wrote a book called uh, Gentle and Lowly, which I've been reading recently. And he says this about that verse. Christ's heart is a steady reality flowing through time. It isn't as if his heart throbbed for his people when he was on earth, but is now dissipated now that he's in heaven. It's not that his heart was flowing forth in a burst of mercy that was with him all the way to the cross, but is now cooled down and is indifferent. His heart is as drawn to people now as it ever is in his incarnate state. In other words, his heart is flowing just as it was when he walked this earth, just as it was when he went to the cross for you and I. His heart is still flowing for you and for I, but we need to let God uh, do the heavy lifting. So as I've been praying about this this week, you know, at the start of the year, uh, God really gave me a verse, a uh, prophetic word that was for my own life. But as I've been praying about it, I thought, no, I really need to share this verse and this word with you guys. Uh, and that, and I just I pray that open your that this will open your heart and make sense to you. But the story is found in the loaves and the fishes. We know the story. Uh, the young boy brings the the uh, the two small fish and the five small barley loaves, and he gives them to to the disciple. I think it's Andrew. And Jesus says, "Have the people sit down," and he feeds the five thousand people. Uh, and as I was reading about that earlier in the year, I felt the Holy Spirit just prompt in my heart, and He said, "You know, Julian, a lot of times." As a Christian, and, and I think this is for all of us, as a Christian, we often come to God and go, God, I want to, I want to see miracles. Don't we sing about it? I want to see miracles. I want to do all of these sorts of things. And hey, God can do miracles. No doubt. He's a God of miracles. But often we think, man, God, if only I could change this and this. If only I could bring that about. And I felt God say, you know, all you need to do is bring the loaves and the fishes. All I require of you just to bring the loaves and the fishes. Bring what you have to me. Bring what you have to me. Don't try and work the miracle. If you try and work the miracle, it's not going to work. You'll burn yourself out and you'll end up worse than you started. But bring to me what you have. And if you bring to me what you have, watch and see what I will do. Watch and see what I will do in this city of Whangarei. Watch and see what I will do in your community or in your family. Watch and see what I'll do in your workplace when you bring to me what you have. So what do you have? What's in your hand? What has God placed in your life? What are those gifts? Bring it to God. It may just seem like it. I mean, think about this little boy with five loaves and two fish in the midst of thousands and thousands of people. There must have been a moment that went through his mind that thought, there's no point even bringing this. What's this going to do? It's just a few measly little things. Well, what's the point of even trying? But that's that's what faith looks like. That's what faith looks like. It's actually just bringing what you have to God, bringing the little bit that you have and allowing God to do the miracle. Don't try and make it happen. Don't try and do the multiplication. That's my job. God does the heavy lifting. We just have to bring what we have. So bring what you have to God and let him do the miracles. And I guess part of that is a bit of a warning in that, isn't there, is that if we try and do the hard part, if we try and do the heavy lifting, we, you know, we end up straining a muscle. We end up getting injured or worse. Things actually end up not so healthy for us. So God gives us this good advice to bring what we have so that he can do the heavy lifting. He's a good God. Thirdly, we need to shine the light and be radically attractive. John 17, 9 says, I pray for them. and I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours and all you have is mine. 
and glory has come to me through them. David Martin Lloyd Jones, he was uh, he was he was a uh, from Britain. He was a medical doctor who converted to Christianity, and he went on to be the minister at uh, Westminster Chapel for over thirty years. And he puts it this way: Our business and function is to show the beauty and the power of Jesus, to manifest to the world, and to make a display of the glories and power of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? To make a display of the glories and the power of the Lord Jesus. That's the Christianity I want to sign up for. That's the kind of life and faith that I want to live for. It's to see the glory and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ wherever we are and to be radically, radically attractive. In fact, someone said the word radical this morning. I think it might have been Matt. He said the word radical. As he said that, I was thinking, man, that's actually true, right? Radically attractive. It doesn't mean we need to get plastic surgeon. It just means we need to be radically attractive in a good way in a good way. You know, I think sometimes growing up in Christian life and, 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 and church, there's a part of you that goes, we've seen, we've seen the trends of Christian church, haven't we? We've seen it. You know, there's a part of, uh, let, let's just appeal to the community around us. Let's do everything we can to be appealing, you know, on the outward way. Let's have all the right sort of, uh, all the right lights, all the right sound, all the right things. That'll appeal to people and then we'll win, you know. Or there's another part of it, and that's, but let's, let's just be completely on the side of truth. Let's just do everything completely by the book. And man, God, God will work through that. God will work through that. But don't you find as you become a Christian and, and you go on in God, you realize that God is not restricted to our thinking. God is not limited to our theology or how we see things. In fact, someone said to me recently that no one person has a corner marker on theology. No one person. No one person has it all made up or exactly how it should be. Because we're a people that are broken. But as we come together, God works in the midst of us. And he transforms us in the midst of us. I think something we're finding over the last couple of hundred years is this very, you know, westernized mindset of individual, me, 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 my life, however I do or how I succeed. You know, for many, many cultures, it's never been the way. It's been about the people, the group, the community, the iwi they come from, where they're about. And so we need to realize sometimes, man, being radically attractive needs to look like a gospel message in, in practice. It needs to look like Jesus moving in the midst of us. So three examples on uh, this thought of being radically attractive. The first one's from Scripture, uh, and it's Moses and the burning bush. You guys all right out there? You go, okay, that's good, that's good, that's good. If I say anything of hearsay, just contact Pastor Tuck and say, that guy from the city, Jeez, don't send me that again, no. So Exodus 3, 22 to 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a burning bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see the strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, Moses said, here I am. I love this um, part of scripture, especially the line that Moses says, what is the strange sight? I need to go and have a look. I need to check this out. I need to have a look. Something caught Moses' attention that he needed to turn from the path he was on. He needed to stop, and he needed to look. And what happened? He heard the voice of God. 
a question probably worth asking ourselves is, does anyone ever say that about us as a believer? What is, what is that strange sight? What is that strange thing? What is that thing that's burning that I can't quite understand? What is it about that, that church on, uh, in Whangarei? What is it about that's just something strange about it? Something, something that's glowing and I need to go and have a look about it. You know, Moses was drawn aside to the burning bush. Someone said that, um, the commentary said that, you know, there would have been from time to time things that ignited. It was dry. It was a desert. It was an arid place. Things would have caught on fire. Uh, trees, bushes would have burnt up. So it would have happened before. It wouldn't have been unusual. But the fact that it did not burn up caught Moses' attention. The fact that, you know, I sometimes think something like, in our conversations, right, at work, people flare up about things. We have the Holy Spirit in us. He gives us self-control. He gives us this, this, the fruit of the Spirit, kindness and gentleness. And I think sometimes when we go about our daily lives and things come up, there's conversations, there's things that happen. And we may have a passion. We may sometimes be angry, but we don't burn up and fizzle out and die. There's a containment. There's a sense of the Spirit in you, moving in you, that's contained, that's within you. And I think sometimes that burning bush is a little bit like people are drawn to the sense that actually, what is it about that self-control they have? I don't understand it. What is it about that gentleness that they portray that I just don't see in anyone else's life? What is it about the kindness that they give to me that no one else is giving to me? There's a sense of the Spirit of God in us, working through us. Moses was drawn to this bush that did not burn up. People were drawn to the Spirit of God in you, in me, that's there operating through those gifts of the Spirit but it doesn't burn up. It doesn't fizzle out. It's there in us. So the question is, does anyone ever say that about us? Does anyone ever say, man, I had to turn aside and ask you what was going on? As Christians, we are to be inextricably attractive. Whangarei, you are to be an attractive community to uh, a place to those around you in this city. The people in this city need it. They need to be able to stop and go, man, what is it with this place? What is it with these people? I need to go and check it out. Don't get me wrong, it's not about, uh, you know, it's not about just making things flashier. It's not about just getting some better equipment or making church more, you know. Fizzy Christianity has not really helped our nation, in my opinion. <laughs> but actually, the truth of God, the Spirit of God in people's lives, working through it. Yesterday, we sat with um, uh, Pastor Paul and Sally Ann from the Kaitai campus. They just came down and visited us. Uh, and um, they were talking about. She was talking about her work in the bells up in the the, the orchard uh, with the fruit up in Kaitaia, and just how she started with them, and and you know, and the the people that she was working with were they were rough. It was tough, and they said to her, "I oh, will give you two weeks working here." Anyway, she lasted two weeks, and then six months went by, and she started bringing baking to this to this place, and then a year went by, and a year and a half went by, and she started doing the cleaning as well. Uh, all for many, many years, just, just, just giving what she had, just being Christ in the mix of these people. Uh, and then five years later, they had a change of ownership, and they brought in some new rules, they brought in some regulations, some things that meant that some staff couldn't work there anymore. Uh, and anyway, they brought in some other things, and then um, they started saying, oh, you're doing all the baking, can, we love this, can, you, can we pay you for it? And so they started paying her to bring the baking into this area. And then they said, oh, we noticed you do the cleaning, can we pay you for that as well? And so after all these years, God's just been doing this amazing work uh, through her life. And that's just simply the Holy Spirit working in her in the place that God has put you. Where has God put you? What's he doing through you? Where's that 
attractiveness because it's there. The Holy Spirit is there. And when we talk about it, we sing about it in church. And I love that. I love worshiping God in church. But he's with us Monday through to Friday through to Saturday, wherever we are, wherever we are. There'll be conversations that God is wanting you and I to have that are filled with the Holy Spirit that make people turn aside and go, what is it about you? What is it that's a little bit different? The second, um, the second example of this being, uh, ex- what is it? Radically attractive. Uh, is from the early church, and uh, at the moment I'm, I'm studying through Kerry Baptist College and just just working towards a degree in, in ministry and theology. And recently, I had to read a book about the early church, uh, and the title of the book was really really long. It was like the um, the the early Christ- the improbable rise of the early Christian church in the middle of Roman Greco society, or well, something really long. I can't even remember it. But it, anyway, it's a great little book about how the early church developed. And a couple of things that I've been reading recently really stood out to me in this whole area of being radically attractive. See, in the early couple of hundred years, after Jesus died and the apostles went forth, the church would meet mostly in homes, uh, and they, they had these qualities about them that were so different to the Roman culture. And I, th- I think to some degree it's not too much different than today. But they, they talk about this context of push and pull, push and pull. There were things that pushed people. To, to the church, to the gospel, to Jesus. And there were things that pulled people to the gospel. So in the context of their society, there were things that pushed them towards us. They were, they were fed up with the way that all the pagan gods just didn't seem to be answering any of their prayers. There were things that all of the idols and all the things that it demanded just didn't satisfy the soul. They were fed up with the way that they were, maybe as a woman, were treated in the, in the Roman Empire and things that were just placed upon people and we're thinking, is this truth? Is this all there is to life? And there were things that pushed them towards Christianity. Christianity, of course, at that time, uh, there was major things that, that were so different about Christians. One was that uh, when they got together, you know, and they worship, uh, and they worship God, women were allowed to be there. That was just so unusual in those times for any of those things. So all of a sudden, there was this sense of, I can belong to this, um, but it doesn't matter what my gender is. There were other things that pulled people in, and one of the major ones was, uh, oh, here it is up here, people were so dissatisfied, the world around them, it pushed them to discover what the truth was, and it pulled them. Christianity against the backdrop of pagan religions, you guys can read, what am I reading? Anyway, I'll read it anyway. And multiple cults became an attractive culture in which the poor were given equal status. Women were included, and they were they buried the dead of non-believers. See, in those times, most of the church, about, they reckon 80% of it, were poor uh, classified as poor people, made up the Christian community. There weren't many that were wealthy. And most of them that came in, you know, they uh, they would bury the dead of non-believers, which was unheard of back then. Unless you belong to a, a special club or society, no one buried the dead. No one cared. They were gone. But the Christians, they got up and they buried these people. They cared. They shone. They were different in the context of their environment. They looked different. They They acted different. They had these habits that were so different, and it pushed people towards it, but it also pulled people towards it as well. It pulled people in to say, what is this about? The other one that I just want to share about is also just from my own life in this context of um, being radically different and shining a light. Uh, I used to work as an engineer at New Zealand. <clears throat> so years ago, I, I moved from Christchurch for a job at New Zealand uh, and trained as an engineer and did their apprenticeship and went into avionics. 
Uh, and to be honest, I thought I was actually going to be a pilot. That's where I was aiming. I thought, man, this is what I want to do uh, with my life. And I signed up and I did the um, did the avionics course. So three years in, I was doing all of these studies, fixing planes. Um, mostly, most of the time I was fixing them well, just so you're aware of that. And I fixed these planes and we would get involved. It was great. It was a great job. Great staff travel, <laughs> great staff discounts. We had a great time. But through the course of that time, I felt something in my spirit say, God, I don't know if this is what I should be doing for the rest of my life. I don't know if this is what I should be doing. And so, you know, I used to think about this, but there was people in that workplace in, in an engineering environment, um, you know, and I mean, God, <laughs> being a Christian in an engineering environment is one whole different thing. And I just remember going in and um, talking to different people, and there was a, there was a guy there called Watty. And, oh man, this is natural for me to walk down the stage all the time at my church. Is that allowed? Yeah, I can do that. I've just got your permission. All right. <laughs> so anyway, I was at, um, in New Zealand and talking with this guy named Watty. Now, Watty was the guy that fixed, uh, he got all the black boxes, you know, the recorders in the aircraft that would record, uh, all the things. So he was the guy, he was the only guy at that time that knew how to do all the uncoding of these boxes. There were others, but he was the main guy. Um, and so, a few times in the in the time I was there, they couldn't let a plane out because it was waiting on the black box, and he had to sign them out. And uh, so anyway, he was, he was a lovely guy, but man, did people give him a hard time. He he, I don't really know why. It was just something about it. Maybe his hairstyle, maybe the way he talked, things like that. He was a little bit interesting as a character, but people used to give him a really hard time. And I remember thinking, like, right, I'm a Christian, and I'm in this place. Uh, I need to do this differently. I need to be good to this guy. So I started befriending Watty, and we started hanging out, and, and every now and then I'd go over and I'd talk about the black box. I'd try not to tell that joke about the, why don't they make the whole plane out of the black box? Um, but I'd just talk to him, and we'd, we'd hang out, and we'd just share and that. And he said to me so many times, oh, Christians, oh, oh Christians, I just don't like Christians. <laughs> you meet those people, right? It's like, oh, no, Christians. And so I thought, okay, no, that's cool. So we just hung out. We got to know each other. After a little while of building this relationship with Waddy, um, he told me that he was moving house. And so I said to him, oh, look, have you got anyone to help you move house? And he said, oh, look, no, no, we, we'll, we'll be okay. We'll be okay. And I thought, oh, he's getting pretty old. Maybe I should give him a hand. So I went around and um, went around to his place on a Saturday. The whole Saturday, we put things in boxes, moved things around, got him sorted out, moved moved all the sorts of stuff. Spent the whole day with him, and uh, and I met and met his met his um, met his wife, and and he told me that no one in, in, in the history of working at New Zealand for forty years had ever met his family, and so I met his wife, and we had a talk, and in any way, went back to work, and a few days later, he just said to me, "Oh man, it was great that you came over. Oh, and by the way, uh, my wife, who also doesn't like Christians, um, <laughs> she said, oh, it was lovely to meet him, and she said, oh, that that's um." Is he a Christian? Oh, okay. Is that what they, I didn't realize that's what they can be like. And they start using this words like, is that what a Christian's like? And so anyway, we talked for a little bit longer. And um, when I told Waddy that I was leaving in New Zealand and I was going to be working at a church, he said to me, oh, are you really going to be leaving a church? He said, you know, I've always had in my mind what churches and Christians are like. I think you've changed my mind. I think you've changed my mind. Change your mind. And, and, you know, like that story is not really about me. I mean, it's one of my little stories, but I remember thinking, man, I could have done so many, I probably said so many things wrong, but I think at the end of the day, there was a seed to be sown. There are seeds to be sown in the people's lives around you. 
You know, we're not called to be ones that save people. It's Jesus' work. It's the Holy Spirit. But we are called to be the people that just have a little bit of, there's something different. Oh, what's that? What's that difference in you? We're called to be that, to walk in that, and to shape that in people's lives. Um, and another little story, um, just conscious of time. So the last little story is more recently, um, in Auckland City. Um, so in Auckland City, we have all of these great <laughs> politicians in Auckland City. And recently we had one that won the seat for Auckland, a young person, um, from a particular party, the Green Party. And so we, uh, we, we, I just heard that she had won and, uh, Chloe. And so I was praying one morning for, um, the government because I felt like, you know, we just pray and we we're praying. And God spoke to me and he said, Julian, you need to email, um, the, uh, Chloe Schwabert and you need to say congratulations. And I thought, no, why would I do that? What's the point in doing that? There's no, I'm not doing that. And anyway, I kept praying and I felt God come, like kind of standing there going, why not you egg? Just do it. And so I thought, right, okay, I'm going to do it. So anyway, I got into work that morning and I was sitting down and I thought, okay, typed up an email, a couple of lines, said, look, congratulations. I know, you know, being young and all the challenges of leading all this stuff, look, well done. You know, you, you, you've done a great job. And hey, we're praying for you. We're praying for you. Anyway, I get an email back from your secretary saying, thank you very much. We got your email. Two days later, I get an email back from uh, Chloe and said, you don't know how much this means to me hearing from a, uh, a church leader in our city. Can you meet with me tomorrow at 1230? <laughs> I thought, no, no. Um, so I, uh, I just thought, oh man, what have I got myself into? And then, and then all these stories of like, you know, oh, this is going to sound terrible. All these stories of, American big pastors and all the politicians came flooding in my mind thinking, I've ruined myself. I've ruined everything. Uh, this is going to be bad. It's gonna, there's going to be photos. I don't know. And I just thought, no, God, okay, you're in this. So I grabbed, um, I grabbed one of our youth leaders, Susie. We went in together. I wasn't going alone. And we got there and we got in there and I thought, man, we're walking into the Green Party headquarters. And, uh, and I was just had no idea what I was doing. And we got up there and anyway, they welcomed us in. We sat down and we started just just talking. And she just shares a little bit about how she got into politics and all that sort of stuff. And anyway, a few minutes into the conversation, we're just talking. There's just her and just myself and, and Susie's there. And I just felt the Holy Spirit say to me, ask her how she's doing. And so we're just talking and I said, look, you, you've got all these pressures, right, to lead this, this political stuff and young. And how do you do it? How are you doing? And... I tell you what, the Holy Spirit just descended on the room. She starts uh, opening up all about stuff. She, she started telling us about her grandmother that took her to church. She started telling us about all the things that were happening in her life. No holding back. All of the things that were, she was, all the all the medication she's on, all the all the struggles, all the things. And she starts kind of sobbing and asking, and just and God just turns up, and we're just like, man, Jesus. And, uh, and I just wanted to say, is there anyone here that needs to give their life to Jesus? Just come forward to the foot of the stage and, uh, thinking, what do I do? And I just remember God just, just, just whispering, saying, you don't need to do anything. Just listen. And so we just sat there for the next half an hour and just listened to a lot of her story. At the end of it all, I said, look, can we pray for you? And she said, you know, I need God and I need your prayers. I thought, whoa. So we just sat there and I thought, Jesus, okay, help us to pray. 
I'm in church unlimited. I shouldn't know how to pray. And so I just thought, all right, God. And so we just prayed and we just prayed, you know, just started praying for her family, praying for her well-being, praying for her mental health. With this, and we just finished praying, and our half half an hour was up. I tell you what, man, it was almost like the Holy Spirit was there, and, and we weren't allowed to leave. And God was just working, and uh, and anyway, we left that room on a bit of a high, just thinking, man, Jesus. And it just, I just thought, you know, it's funny, isn't it? Because you read the you read the newspapers, you read the headlines, and all you see is one angle on people. But when you listen, and the Holy Spirit's in you, and you take the time, God just opens up. He he does the softening. He does he does the heavy lifting. We just we just be obedient. We're just as people. We just be the people that have that spirit in us. It's contained, you know. It's in us, and God is in you. You know, I think a really really healthy, vibrant, awesome, great church just looks like a bunch of people that love Jesus and want to see His power and His Holy Spirit move through their daily lives. Nothing more, nothing less. Whether it's a group of 10, 20 people, whether it's a group of a few hundred, it doesn't matter. The kingdom of God is already amongst us, and he wants to move through you, through me. So to build for a better tomorrow, I want to encourage you that God has chosen you. Don't let your failures and your flaws hold you back. Don't let them be the defining point in your life or the last page. Let it just be a comma. Get back up and let God continue to use you and move through you. And realize that sometimes the weaknesses are the very vulnerabilities he's, he knows about, but his grace covers them and he chooses to work through us anyway. Secondly, let God do the heavy lifting. Let God do the heavy lifting in your life. There's things that possibly we're trying to lift still in our lives, but God's the one who lifts them. He's the one that does all the hard work. We just need to show up with the loaves and the fishes. We just need to come with what we have. And he'll do all the miracles. He'll do all the work. And thirdly, as a church, shine the light. Be radically attractive. Let the Holy Spirit, which you already do, but let it flow through you. Be a people of grace, of the Spirit, of the fruit of the Spirit. Just sow those seeds. Be people that listen. And trust me, God will move through you. He'll take you step by step. You know, I wrote down in my, I was building the deck the other day at our house. And I felt God say to me, I want you to share this word with Church Unlimited Whangarei. And I spoke it into my phone. Do you guys ever do that? You know, audio to, to, to word. Blah, 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 blah. And then I pushed stop. And then I realized I pushed stop. I was actually starting it. And then I was like, oh, no. And I couldn't remember what I just said. And, uh, and all I got on my phone is God is in control of your destiny. That's the only thing it saved. So there, that's all I've got. God is in control of your destiny, Church Elements of Whangarei. Uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. God bless you guys. Such a privilege to come here and share.